0: السلام عليكم ورحمه الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا ما يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله in our previous lesson we looked at two uh, major incidents in the seerah of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa and the first of them was the battle of mutah and this was a battle against the The Roman Empire the Byzantines and this was in the 8th year of Hijra and in that incident we mentioned that there was a very small number of Muslims maybe 20 or 30,000 or in fact sorry 3,000 against a very large army of the Romans which was around 150 to 200,000 and no one really came out uh, victorious in that battle but the battle was nevertheless a victory in another sense, in a sense that the reputation of the Muslims became very, very strong because it spread amongst the Arabian Peninsula that an army of three, a small army of 3,000 Muslims was able to fend off a huge army of what was then a superpower of that time. Uh, of you know, a very, very large, very large army. So that was the first incident that we looked at, and the second, which was the conquest of Mecca, one of the greatest incidents uh, in the seerah of the Messenger (Sallallahu uh, In the conquest of Mecca, he entered into Mecca victorious, and the mushrikun were uh, in awe. Uh, and we highlighted the mercy and the compassion of the Messenger of Allah in that he didn't, you know, he didn't. Uh, seek revenge in the sense that, you know, uh, even though he could have. But he said to them, what he basically said to them, that you basically, you are free to go. You are basically free to go. And there was only a very small number, maybe four or five individuals who were the most stubborn, arrogant, hateful, uh, mischief-causing individuals who were killed out of Justice, pure justice, nothing else. But as for everybody else, they were allowed to, allowed to go and they were, they were let off. And so the conquest of Mecca <coughs> was again a huge incident in the seerah. And that again allowed um, many, many more people to come and to enter into Islam. And so this brings us to today's lesson in which we will, inshallah ta'ala, discuss another two major incidents. And again, these are two battles of the Messenger And the first one is the Battle of Hunayn. The Battle of Hunayn. Now in this battle, as we said, uh, that prior, prior to this situation, the majority of the Arabs had been basically subdued and conquered. But there were some nobles from certain tribes, from the tribe of Qais and Hawazin uh, and Thaqif and than them and they gathered together and they had a shura they had a discussion amongst themselves and they said and this is because they heard of the conquest of Mecca that Makkah had been conquered by Muhammad and his army so they gathered together and they had a discussion they decided to consult with each other on what to do because they knew that if Muhammad had had conquered Mecca, had conquered the Quraysh, and had basically taken over the city. It meant that anyone who was left would be next. They feared that they would be next. So these tribes, Thaqif, Hawazin, another than them, they gathered together and they said, Basically, there's nothing stopping this man now. He has taken over Mecca, and we are going to be next. So let us attack him before he comes and he attacks, he attacks us. So they gathered together, they discussed their affair, and they decided to engage in war. So they decided to engage in war first, and they chose a particular man called Malik bin Auf al-Nasri as their leader. So he gathered together all of the uh, people, and when he gathered all of the individual people, he also made sure that every single soldier, that his family, the women of his household, likewise any wealth that they had, and likewise any um, slaves that they might have had as well, because in those days it was customary to have uh, slaves, so the whole estate of an individual, he made them come out in the battle, and there was a reason for this. And uh, the reason for this obviously, was that if a man is engaged in a war and be on on the front side is his army, and behind him in his family, he's going to fight well this was the understanding of, of this of this of the leader Malik, that this man is going to fight on behalf of his of his family he's going to be a more fierce his fighter because he knows now that a lot more is at stake now so one of them, there was one individual amongst them called Dareed bin Asima, and he, when he heard the voices of children and all of, you know, the women and you know animals and everything else coming with the soldiers to fight, he went to this Malik and he said, what, what is the, basically he remonstrated and said, What is the point in this? Now, what is the point in this? So he basically said, If you, if you bring all of a man's possessions, his wealth, his family, his women, his children. And what's going to happen is, if they lose, if we lose, then you've just given up all of this as booty to the to the victor. And if they're going to fight, they'll fight. And if they're victorious, they'll come back to, the, to, to, to their possessions. And if they're defeated, then we will lose all the all, all possessions. So what is the point in this? But Malik did not listen uh, he didn't, didn't listen to this, and he insisted that you know, all of these uh, possessions and wealth and family come with every soldier. So, anyway, they made their way to a valley, and this was the valley of Hunain. hence the battle of Hunain. And what they did was that there were, they, they, he made the, the soldiers to hide themselves in certain places within the valley, to anticipate the Muslims coming. Now, the messenger of Allah, he learned about these uh, movements, these actions, and uh, he came out with a a gathering of people uh, from Makkah on the, this was the uh, seventh day of the month of Shawwal, in the eighth year of Hijra. And he had with him uh, 12,000 fighters. Now, this was a huge number compared to before. So remember the previous battle, there were 3,000 fighters. Now there are 12,000 fighters. And uh, in the process, they also hired a certain number of shields from Safwan bin Umiyyah. And when he left, he put uh, one of the companions in charge, Ita bin Usaid. So they made their way to Hunayn. And on the way to Hunayn, uh, there was the famous incident which occurred And this was the incident in which the Sahaba, they passed by a certain tree. And this tree was known as that and That And there used to be a custom amongst the Arabs that whenever they would engage in a battle or before engaging in a battle, they would take their weapons, they would take their swords, and they would hang them on this tree. Seeking... Blessings, because they believed wrongly that the tree would give some sort of blessing to the weapon, and that weapon therefore would become more effective and would give them barakah. And so, as the companions walked by, and they passed by by the tree, and th- these companions were new to Islam. So remember, many many people had come in throngs and entered into Islam after. The, the, the previous victories that the Muslims had, had attained. And so they, they were new Muslims and they walked by this tree. And uh, when they passed by it, they said to the Messenger of Allah, <laughs> or Messenger of, of Allah, Make for us a that and what as they have a that and what. Make for us as they have a that and what. And so at this, the Messenger of Allah <laughs> he became uh, angry. And you know, he made his remark, Allahu Akbar, how great is Allah. Indeed you have said the same as what the people of Musa said. Because the people of Musa said to him, make for us a deity, as they, meaning the pagans, have a deity. And he said to them, indeed you are a people who are ignorant, and indeed these are ways, these are ways, the sunan. These are ways, sunan, that, in, that, that you shall certainly follow of those who came before you. And so in this incident, the scholars, this is obviously a very important incident because it is mentioned in the books of Tawheed. And from this, the scholars derive you know, many uh, important uh, principles and emphasizing the greatness of the topic of Tawheed. And one of the things that they point out from this incident is the fact, uh, is, is basically a refutation of the Groups which are present, which have been present in in the 20th century like the uh, Muslim Brotherhood And all of the similar, the, the offshoots of this group And so they point out from this incident is that you have to look at The fact that these companions are on the way to battle They're on the way to battle And on the way to battle they fell into this mistake And this mistake is a mistake which entails shirk even though they were ignorant. And so, at this, the Messenger of Allah became very angry and he reprimanded them and he, descri- he likened their action to the action of Bani Israel. And so, the scholars say that this is a refutation of those groups who are present today and they say. That look at the weakness of the Muslims. And look at how they are being attacked. And look at how their lands are being taken from them. Look at how they are being killed. and Look at how they are being oppressed. and Look at how they are... And, 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 so and so on and so on and so forth. And so therefore, we shouldn't speak about things that cause difference. We shouldn't speak about things that cause controversy. We shouldn't speak about things that split the ranks. And what they mean here, they mean here is that we shouldn't speak about those foundations of the religion. We shouldn't speak about the foundations of the religion, in which the Muslims have actually differed, and deviated away from the straight path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So meaning, meaning, do not speak against the Sufi who goes to a grave, and calls upon the inhabitant of the grave. Clear, open, manifest shirk. Or do not speak against those who believe, for example, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is in every place, in every location with his essence, believing this is Tawheed, (coughs) when it is shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the point being, that to enjoin the good, and to prohibit the evil, especially in the foundations of Islam, there is nothing that prevents that, there is no situation, no circumstance, no difficulty, No scenario in which this should be abandoned for anything else, because it is this very foundation of tawheed upon which strength and honor and might and victory lies, and that's why the Messenger of Allah, knowing that they were engaging to engage in a battle and seeing that this was something that the companions fell into, then he reprimanded them severely. Very, very severely, he said to he said to them, "Innaqum, you are an ignorant people, and you have said, as the, the companions of Moses have said, make for us a god, a deity, as they have a deity." So, under there, there are numerous other lessons from this as well. Um, the fact that we see Muslims today, you will see them coming to coming to a masjid, they will listen to the Biography of the Messenger of Allah It will lead them to tears. <coughs> so they will read the seerah, or they'll hear the seerah. It will lead them to tears. They will hear the stories of the companions. Of their bravery, honor, justice, charity, mercy, sacrifice. It will bring them to tears. So, so they come to the masajid, They hear these stories, brings them to tears. Then they go out, and then, and then, when they leave, they go and they call upon Abdul Qadir Al Jilani, or they call upon so and so Wali, or so and so Wali, or so and so Furan. committing shirk with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And if it is the case, as uh, as we see. Some of the scholars, Sheikh Muhammad, Al Jami, for example, mentioning that the companions were right next to the Messenger of Allah And they fell into the, 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 this mistake. How about today, when we are far, 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 far away from the time of the Messenger of Allah And the people in general are far, far, far away from genuine knowledge. Genuine knowledge, which enters the hearts. The knowledge of Tawheed, the knowledge of Aqeedah, the knowledge of Iman and so on and so forth. They are far far away from people who will teach them these genuine foundations of, of the religion. And so this is why we see these strange things around us, that you will see a man entering into a masjid, listening to Islamic talks, being brought to tears. And then when he leaves, he goes about doing his, you know, going to the grave, invoking the person in the grave... And committing other actions which nullify his, his his belief. Were it not for his, you know, the fact that he is just ignorant and he doesn't understand the reality of what the messenger uh, came with. So, anyway, there are many lessons from this incident uh, which occurred in the Battle of Hunayn, where the companions, as they were proceeding to the Valley of Hunayn, they made this remark. And a person can refer back to uh, Kitab al Tawheed, Al Qawaid al Arba. In which this incident is mentioned, and the various explanations for more benefits in that regard. So, as they were proceeding to Hunayn, they saw that they were very large in number. 10,000 is a huge number. And they began to say that we will not be defeated today. We will not be defeated today. And this, when it came to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, it, you know, this this became hard upon the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And anyway, as the day passed, um, later in the day, a rider came and informed them that the Hawazin, the tribe of Hawazin, they have come and they've brought all of their uh, possessions, their belongings, their animals, their livestock. And so the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he became happy because he he said that this will be Our booty tomorrow, insha'Allah. And so here, this you see, this was like a a, a mistake uh, in a tactic of war that was made by the by the Mushrikun, you know, by this man called Malik, their leader. By, in in a way, um, how can you put it? It's, you know, putting pressure on the soldiers to fight, knowing that their families are directly behind them. You know, it's 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 a type of oppression, really. And so it was a mistake that they made, and the Messenger knew that Allah would ultimately give them victory, and that's why he said that all of this will be in our possession tomorrow, insha'Allah Ta'ala. So now we reach the tenth night of the month of Shawal, and the Messenger of Allah he reached the valley of Hunayn, and they spent the night the, 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 the night before they entered into the valley itself, and then he gave the flag two different individuals, he gave it to Ali bin Abi Talib أنه, from the Muhajirin, and from the uh, tribe of um, Aus, he gave it to Usayd bin Hudayr, and to the tribe of Khazraj, he gave it to Al-Habbab uh, bin Al-Munvir, and he gave each tribe you know, a flag of, of war. Then he himself put on uh, some armor and some shields, and then... They proceeded to descend into the valley. Now, if you remember, we said that the mushrikun had already entered the valley and they'd, you know, made strategic positions where they hid themselves, waiting for the Muslims to descend. So, as the Muslims came, they the, the mushrikun showered them with arrows, pelted them with arrows, and as if they were like, you know. Um, thousands of mosquitoes just pelting and coming down like this and this harmed the army a lot it created a lot of damage and it took them by surprise and most of the people from the muslims were exposed to this shower of arrows and um, it kind of was basically a, a, a defeat. Right, Because of the damage sustained, it was basically more or less a defeat because most of the army was affected. And when this happened, the Mushrikun obviously were very happy. And there were certain people who were very new to Islam. They only very recently entered into Islam. And people like Abu Sufyan and uh, Safwan, uh, the, the, uh, sorry, a brother of uh, Safwan and uh, some others, and they began to make certain remarks. Remarks which indicated that they were, that maybe they were... were perhaps they were... Uh, remarks that, uh, like for example that on this day magic will become invalidated. Meaning that this had been nothing but magic all along. We'd been tricked. And that this what the messenger came with was just merely magic. So today it appears that maybe this magic will finally be exposed. Because it appeared that the Muslims were going to be defeated. So, re- there were remarks which are related in this regard from some of them. And uh, as for the Messenger of Allah, <laughs> uh, he remained firm. And likewise, the Muhajirin and the Ansar. And he made some lines of poetry Anan Nabi la kathib Abnu abdul Muttalib. That I am the Prophet, I am not a lie or a liar, I am the son of Ibn Abdul Muttalib so he began to make these lines of poetry and so Abu Sufyan bin al-Harb uh, afwan Abu Sufyan bin al-Harith uh, took hold of the riding mule of the messenger of Allah sallallahu al-Abbas because they feared that if it was left it might just venture off towards the the the, the enemy so they took hold of it and at this point the messenger of Allah he made supplication to Allah asking for aid asking for help and then he ordered Al Abbas, because he had a very loud, powerful voice, and he said to him, "Call upon your companions. Call upon those who are the lancers." So he, he so he shouted out, "Where are the lancers?" And suddenly, people began to come from different directions when they heard that they were being called for. So eventually, a group of around a hundred had gathered together, ready to face the army and ready to, to to fight them. And then he turned to the Ansar, meaning Al-Abbas. And then he said the same thing. And then groups came towards him. Then he turned to other tribes, Bani Al-Harif, more came to him. So suddenly basically a large group of Muslims had gathered together after the initial confusion and the, and the attack. So a large group had came together. And at this point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he sent down tranquility upon the hearts of the Muslims. Why? Because earlier they'd been taken by surprise. They'd been taken by surprise. And there's a lesson to this, Inshallah, we'll come to this uh, lesson shortly. Uh, they'd been taken by surprise. And so now they regrouped, got together again, and now things had turned around. They felt calmness. And likewise, Allah sent down Soldiers which could not be seen, meaning angels. There were angels that were sent down which could not be seen. And so the Muslims then continued and proceeded. The fighting broke out. And the messenger of Allah he said, now has the fighting become fierce? And then he took from the ground, he took some sand. And he threw the sand towards the uh, uh, the enemy. And as he threw it, he said, may Allah disfigure their faces. May Allah disfigure the faces. So the sand went, and it hit them in the eyes, and it led them to uh, confusion in their affair, and they basically split, and turned around, and fled, and fleed, and put them into confusion, into, into chaos, and their ranks fell into disarray, and the Muslims chased after them, and fought them, and took many of them captive. Now, Again, this this actually is mentioned in the Quran when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he said Wama Rameita Idrameita Rama that it wasn't you who threw when you threw, but it was Allah who threw. And again, this incident here is another important incident in which we find that there are lessons concerning Tawhid, the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so from one of those that we will take very briefly from this, is that the scholars explain that uh, this, this actually is something to do with the topic of Al-Qadr, al wa qadr And we as Muslims who follow the belief of Ahl-Sunnah wal jamaah the Salaf of salih the Righteous Salaf, is that we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He created man, And he created all things and he put certain inherent qualities. He put qualities in things. And he gave man abilities and he gave things, qualities. Like for example, man is able to speak, he's able to think, he's able to reflect, he's able to choose, he's able to do things because he has limbs, he has hands, he has arms, he has you know feet, he has legs, he all these faculties he's able to do things with These powers that Allah has given him. Likewise, we see that when we look at substances and things, Allah has put qualities within things. Take, for example, this water. This water, when a person drinks water, it quenches his thirst. It removes his thirst. This is the quality Allah has given to water. And likewise, every other thing, the fact that fire consumes things and burns things and heats things, And likewise, if we were to take every single thing, every substance, everything, we will find that it has certain qualities and properties and things that we can, um, you know, define and, and study. Now, the issue here is that everything in the creation of Allah, it takes place by way of the asbab, by way of means, by way of causes and effects. So for example, for example, when let's take the example of water if a person was thirsty and he drank water Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed his thirst but his thirst was removed through the water itself because the water has the property of removing thirst so we affirm for things, their properties. We don't deny their properties. But at the same time, we believe that Allah is the one who decrees everything and gives everything its qualities and its properties. Now, how is this connected? This is connected to the topic of Al-Qadr because we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the creator of man and He is the creator of man's actions. Why? Because Allah... Created man, he gave him hearing, he gave him seeing, he gave him the ability to think, to reflect, to decide, to choose, he gave them the ability to act. So, all of these things, Allah is the one who granted all of this to every single being. So, therefore, when a being does something, does anything, whether it is good or bad, whether he does something righteous or sinful. Allah is the creator of his actions. Allah created his actions, good or evil. Allah is the one who decreed his actions, good or evil. But it is man who does the actions. So when a man prays, he is the one who prayed. But Allah created his action of praying. When a man commits a sin, he steals for example, he fornicates for example, commits zina for example, or he gambles or whatever else, drinks intoxicants. He is the one who did the action. He is the fa'il. He is the doer of the action. But Allah created his action because Allah created him and his limbs and his ears and his eyes and his brain and his mind and his heart and gave him the faculties of thinking and deciding and choosing. So Allah really, Allah is the one who created his action. So basically this means, what this means here. That that coming back, how is this connected to the verse? In the verse, Allah says that it was not you who threw. It was not you who threw, but it was Allah. But when you threw, but it was Allah who threw. What this means here is that that first of all. We affirm the fact that Allah is the Creator of all actions; that everything that we do is a creation of Allah. Every action we perform is a creation of Allah. You step into your car; that action was created by Allah. You, you know, take uh, you, you drink water; that action was created by Allah. You make du'a; that action is created by Allah. You take a step forward; that action is created by Allah. Everything anybody does is Created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every action. Also, the fact that in this example of when the messenger threw something, the messenger threw and that was the only part he played. But as for the effect, as for the sand moving and going into the eyes of the enemy and confusing them, this was... Something that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that he that the effect that he made happen, right? So th- this is how the scholars explain the, the verse. They combine and they say that the, the messenger threw, but that throwing in and of itself. Once the messenger threw, that w- the rest of it was outside of his control. Then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala by way of the asbab, the causes and the effects, because he is the creator of of the wind and the creator of you know everything through the means. That Allah made that sand to go and enter into their eyes and cause confusion. So the effect of the throwing belonged to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah completed the effect, but the messenger took the sabab, the, the cause and the means. So in this sense, the messenger threw, yes he did throw, thro- throw, and Allah, he threw in the sense that because of the effect that Allah brought about, Allah he, you know, this is how Allah, He also threw as well. And so this is how the scholars bring these two things together. The point being from all of this is that we believe in the causes and the effects. We believe that men have been given inherent powers and qualities and that they perform actions, they do their own actions. And we believe that things and substances, Allah has put properties in them. And those properties, they, they bring about the effect. So the point being, we believe in causes and their effects. Now why is this? Why are we raising this? We are raising this because there are people out there like the Ash'aris, like the Maturidis, and they deny this principle. They deny this principle. They don't believe that things have inherent properties. So for example, they wouldn't say that water quenches thirst. They would say this is shirk. And this is from their incorrect understanding. This is from their incorrect aqeedah. They deny that things, causes have effects. So they would say, it's not correct for you to say that drinking water, that water has the inherent property of removing your thirst. They will simply say, if you drink water, what happens is Allah just creates something separate, a process by which your thirst is removed. It had nothing to do with the water. And this really is, is, is jahl of Allah's creation. It is a denial of the asbab, the causes and the effects. And it is a huge mistake in the, in, in the topic of Al-Qadr, which leads them to make many, many other mistakes. So, from this uh, incident in the Battle of Hunayn, uh, when the Muslims regrouped after the initial defeat, the Messenger, he made dua to Allah, asked for aid a small army gathered together, he took the sand and he threw it towards the enemy and he did the throwing, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he completed the effect and brought out the, 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 the confusion and the disarray and the mushrikun turned around, fled, they were split and divided and they became overwhelmed by the muslimin and the muslims took all of their possessions as we said that they brought out, all of the animals, the camels, the you know livestock and so on and so forth. At the same time, when news of this had reached the Mushriks of Mecca, many of them became Muslim. Because they'd realized, historically speaking, that it turns out that every single time the Muslims are being victorious in battles, despite being very, very, very small in number. So, as these battles began to you know, uh, progress and conclude, many, many people began to, to become uh, Muslim. Now, the lesson from this is Allah subhanahu wa Taala. He mentioned in the Qur'an, he, he, uh, in uh, Surah, this is a Surah uh, At-Tawbah, uh, recounting this uh, exam- uh, incident of Hunayn. He said, uh, وَيَوْمَ حُنَيْنٍ إذ, أعجب, إِذْ أَعْجَبَتْكُمْ كَثْرَتُكُمْ فَلَمْ تُغْنِي عَنْكُمْ شَيْئًا وَضَاقَتْ عَلِيكُمْ وَالْعَرْضُ بِمَا رَحُبَتْ ثُمَّ وَلَّيْتُمْ مُدْبِرِينَ Which means, that on the day of Hunayn when your large numbers amazed you, you become amazed. You became amazed by your large numbers, but your large numbers availed you nothing, and the earth become became narrow and constricted, despite the fact that it is vast. And then you turned back, you turned round, and you and, and you fled. What is the reference to? It's a reference to when the Muslims began to say, "We are ten thousand in number." How are we going to be defeated today? We will not be overwhelmed. And so their numbers amaze them. And what does this show? This shows that a Muslim should never ever be amazed <coughs> by the powers and abilities that he has. <coughs> because this is a deception. Because it is Allah. Allah is the one who granted you these powers and these abilities. Allah is the one. Who can make these powers and abilities to be fruitful or not be fruitful? So, to be amazed by what one possesses of large numbers, for example, or wealth, for example, or whatever it might be, a strong, powerful body, for example, this has got nothing. This is just one small cause from the sum of causes which are in Allah's hands. So if Allah wanted, He could give you victory by way of the other causes which are in His possession and control. And if He wanted, He could give you defeat. So, in this ayah we see, on the day of Hunayn, when your numerousness, your large numbers amazed you, but they did not avail you of anything. And the earth became constricted upon you, despite the fact that it is vast. And then you turned away, then you fled and you turned away. ثُمَّ أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتَهُ عَلَىٰ رَسُولِهِ وَعَلَىٰ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَأَنزَلَ جُنُودًا لَمْ تَرَوْهَا وَعَذَّبَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَذَٰلِكَ جَزَاءُ الْكَافِرِينَ Then he said, then Allah, he sent down سَكِينَةً, his tranquility, upon you, upon his messenger, and upon the believers. And he sent soldiers which you did not see, meaning from the angels, from the angels. And then he punished those who disbelieve. And this is the recompense of those who disbelieve. So we see that the things turned around, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from his mercy, he sent down his sakina, his tranquility, he aided and supported the Muslims with angels, caused confusion in the ranks of the mushrikun, and allowed the Muslims to have a, a large, large victory. Now the mushrikun, when they turned around and they fled, so they turned around, they fled, and they split into three groups. One group fled in the direction of Ta'if. And this was the largest group of them. They fled to Ta'if. They went to Ta'if. Another group went towards Nakhla. And a third group went to a place called Awtaas. So the messenger of Allah Sallallahu he wanted to pursue all of them in each direction. So he sent a group from his companions uh, to Altas. Uh, Abu Amir al-Ash'ari, and he's the uncle of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, عنه, uh, anhuma. and so he sent them along with a group of Muslims to go and uh, take these uh, people. So they caught up with them, and you know they, they uh, dominated them and took whatever booty uh, th- that was in their possession. And in the process, Abu Amir was actually killed, and so he put uh, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, then took place, uh, took charge of the situation, and so he came back victorious, Having subdued those who fled, and likewise those who fled to Nakhla, they likewise were captured, and their leader, who was called Dureid bin bin he was killed as well. And finally, um, sorry, by this time a large number of booty had been gathered, of livestock, of captives, and there were, you know, roughly maybe uh, twenty-four thousand camels, uh, forty thousand uh, sheep. 4,000 uh, vessels made of silver, uh, 6,000 captives, and many, many others. So you can see that there's a huge amount of war booty that was taken as a result of this battle. And so the companion Mas'ud bin Amr al-Ghifari was put in charge of all of this. Now, this leaves us with the third group who had fled, the largest group which, w- which went to Ta'if. And the... Uh, messenger of Allah Sallallahu he pursued them, and on the way to Ta'if, he came across the fortress of the leader of that army, who's called Malik, if you remember from the very beginning, Malik, the leader of the Hawazin and Thaqif, the one who forced the soldiers to fight with their wives and daughters and sisters and their livestock and the wealth behind them. So this man, he had a, a, a fortress, and the messenger ordered it to be destroyed, and eventually when they reached uh, Ta'if, they found that the enemy had retreated to um, basically into a fortress and what they'd done is they'd prepared in advance they'd gathered together one complete year's supply of food because they knew that they would be besieged. So in this fortress they took a whole year of supplies and the messenger of the sun ordered a siege around this fortress and so the Muslims they would come and every time they came close to the um, to the fortress, they would be showered with arrows, and they would be harmed by this, and you know many wounds and so on and so forth. And so the Muslims tried many different strategies to try to get into the fortress, and every time they weren't successful. So they tried battering the walls. They um, you know uh, they, they tried to get close and enter, and every time they came, the enemy had. Molten iron pod or they fired arrows Or they did such and such So it seemed that it was, it was very very difficult To penetrate this fortress So every time though um, Some of the companions would go and challenge them Khalid bin al-Walid would go and challenge them Come out of the fortress Come fight man to man And they would refuse So obviously they'd found a, a secure place of refuge They refused to come out and fight man to man And It seemed that every opportunity that the Muslims uh, tried to use to get into the fortress wasn't successful. And so the messenger went and he came and he made an announcement. Or he ordered someone to make an announcement that any servant who comes out of the fortress, that he will be free to go. and He will not be harmed. So to incite people to come out, this announcement was made around the fortress. So... Basically 13, 23 men came, uh, and one of them was a person called Abu Bakr, Abu Bakra. and what he did was he used, those, like, there used to be a wheel uh, that, that would be used to bring down, for example, a bucket and lift it up or to you know, send down things, And so he used that wheel to come down, and this is why he was given the name Abu, Abu Bakr, because the Bakr refers to the, 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 the wheel. So anyway so 13, 23 people came out but apart from them everyone else remained in and the siege lasted for a long while maybe 20 25 maybe even a month some people say and so to start thinking about what to do the messenger of allah he consulted with his companions and so one of them called Nawfal uh, bin muawiyah ad-daily he said to the messenger of allah he said these people are like a fox In its den They are like the fox in its den If you are prepared to stand outside the den For a very very long time Eventually you will, you will capture it It will come out You will capture it But If you simply walk away and leave It's not going to harm you either It's not going to harm you So these are words of wisdom And the point being made from it is that The longer you stay here and the longer you try to subdue these people and make them come out, the more you will be harmed. Eventually you will get them, yes. Eventually, they will have to surrender. But in the process, you're going to have to spend months and months and months and months and months. So it's going to harm you more than it's going to harm them. So if you just turn back and leave, there will be no harm to you. And so hearing these words, the messenger of Allah he ordered the Muslims to turn around and to turn back, and as they were turning back, the companion said, "O Messenger of Allah, <coughs> make du'a against them. Make du'a against Thaqif." And instead, what did the messengers? What did the messengers? what did he do? He said, "Allahu mahdi Thaqifan, wa Muslimin." So look at this. The companions asked him to make du'a to Allah to gain vengeance from these people who had fought, who had conspired, organized themselves, and to fight against the Muslimin. And you would think that the Messenger of Allah he would make du'a against these people for whatever reason, but he didn't. He made du'a to Allah, O oh Allah, guide the tribe of Thaqif, and bring them to us as Muslims. And this again shows the mercy of the Messenger of Allah and that war was not an end in itself, but rather, the messenger was sent for guiding mankind. Not to not to fight battles and to kill people, but rather to guide mankind and to put guidance into their hearts. So he made dua for these people, for this tribe. And eventually we, we will see later, in a, uh, later that they actually all came. And actually the, the dua was answered and they came as Muslims submitting uh, in, into the deen of Islam. So, anyhow, these people were left and... The Messenger of came back from Ta'if to a place called Al-Ji'rana. Al-ji'rana. And here he spent another maybe uh, uh, 10 odd days. And he kept hold of the, remember the booty, the large booty, the war booty that had been captured. He kept hold of it for 10 days without distributing the booty. Why was this? Because he was hoping, and this again shows to you, the mercy and the compassion and the justice and the wisdom and the gentleness of the messenger of Allah He did not distribute the booty for all of those days, hoping, anticipating that the tribe of Hawazin would come, making tawbah to Allah so that their goods could be returned back to them and their possessions could be returned back to them. So, and likewise the captives could be returned back to them. So after waiting all of this period, and they never came, so then he began to distribute the booty to the different, different people. <coughs> and so the booty was given primarily to people who were new and weak in Islam. All of the, you know, the converts who were new, and likewise they were weak, he gave to them as a means of strengthening the hearts and tightening the bonds of Islam. So for example, he gave uh, to Abu Sufyan 40 vessels of silver and 100 camels. He gave a like number to his son Yazid. He gave a like number to his other son Muawiyah, Muawiyah bin Abu Sufyan. He gave to Safwan bin a 100, uh, then 100, then another 100, 300 camels. He gave to... A large number of others, which I mentioned here. Hakim bin Hizam, Al-Harith bin, Ibn Al-Harith bin Kalada, uh, Uyena bin, uh, bin Hassan, Aqra bin Habis, Al-Abbas bin Muradis, al qama bin Alafa, Malik bin Awf. I mean, there's many names here. I won't mention them, all of them. There's another maybe 10, 15 names. But all of them were given 100 camels, and others were given 50, others were given 40. And so as this distribution was taking place, the news spread to everybody that Muhammad is giving out things, he's giving out wealth and he's not even bothered about poverty. So then all of a sudden, a rush of people came asking for things. And this huge commotion broke out until they even began to grab the, the garment of the messenger, took his garment. And at this, the messenger of ﷺ, he said, return back my garment for by Allah in whose hand is my soul if I had in my possession meaning camels and sheep and whatever else the likes of the trees in Tihama, meaning that if I had that amount a huge amount of booty then by Allah you would find that I would have distributed it all amongst you you would not find me to be someone who is niggardly or um, miserly or cowardly and no one who is a liar you will not find me like this if i had this i would have distributed it to you but then he be, then, then he took um, you know then he began to say that all of this is from the is from the booty and you know i have no uh, you know i have no interest in it except the fifth and the fifth which i take i'm just only going to give it back to you anyway so everything you've taken return it back because to take something wrongfully out of deception to take something wrongfully, it is basically, it will be a punishment and a fire for a person on the day of judgment. So everyone who took something, they brought it all back. Even if it was something very small, they all brought it back. And um, eventually, when everything had been given, we find, now notice here that those who had been given mostly were those who were new to Islam and who many of whom actually had been enemies to islam before that like abu sufyan before they became muslim now you can imagine that the ansar the companions from the ansar were watching and observing all of this taking place that all of these people are being given all of this wealth that we've captured and we fought in this battle and we receive we received nothing and so they came to the Messenger of they were very surprised, and some of them some of them said that this is very strange that the Quraysh have been given, because those who became Muslim from the Quraysh who were new to Islam, they've been given and we've been left. And our swords are the ones which are, you know, uh, dripping with, with blood out of out of the the the, 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 war, the war, the battle. So this was brought to the messenger of Allah by Sa'ad bin Ubada. And he gathered them all together And he praised Allah Extolled Allah Then he mentioned to them the Ansar How Allah had been kind and generous to them And then he said He basically admonished them And he basically said Look, O Ansar O gathering of the Ansar That the people leave With camels and sheep, do you not like that the, key, that the people leave with camels and sheep? And you will leave with the messenger of Allah s. For by him in whose hand is the soul of Muhammad. If it had not been for the hijrah, I would have been a man from the Ansar. And if all of the people had went and traveled in each and every single valley, and the Ansar took this valley, then I would have took the valley of the Ansar. I would have taken it with them. O Allah, have mercy upon the Ansar And have mercy upon the sons of the Ansar And have mercy upon the grandsons of the Ansar So he made dua for them So basically what he told them was Look, are you not pleased That the people are leaving, going away from me Having taken a camel or a sheep Or this possession or that possession They're leaving, going away from me And you are left, you're going to come back with me With the messenger of Allah Does Does that not please you? And so the people when they when they when they when they heard this they began to cry until their beads became wet with the tears, and they said, We are pleased with the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam قِسْمًا وحفظا. both in his division, we are pleased with everything. They submitted and they were pleased with everything. And then the Messenger of Allah they turned and they went back and they uh, returned. So once again we see another lesson here from the Sahaba of الله عنهم. We see that they were satisfied and content <coughs> when the Messenger admonished them and told them of the realities that he's only doing this for those who are weak in Islam. Those who are new to Islam and naturally they are weak in Islam. So those people, because they are weak in Islam, unlike the Ansar, who are very strong in Islam, then to give them some incentives, some worldly incentive something that will consolidate their faith, that will strengthen their faith, then this is from wisdom. And this is not because he likes them above and beyond the Ansar, but it is because the Ansar, the faith of the Ansar is huge compared to the faith of those who are new to Islam. So to captivate their hearts and to fortify them within Islam, he gave most of the booty to them. And the Sahaba became content. They became content with this. They are content. And we see here a difference between the genuine, truthful companions of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the hypocrites, the Munafiqoon. From those hypocrites was (inaudible) Dhul Khuwaesara At-Tamimi, the father of the Khawarij, this man who came to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and he said to him when he was distributing the booty that had come from the direction of Yemen, he said, Fear Allah and be just. And the messenger said to him, You know, if I'm not going to be just, then who is going to be just? And he reprimanded him. And, you know, some words were exchanged. and Some of the companions made some words and the men walked away. The man walked away. And the messenger said, him, he said that from the offspring of this man will come a people and they will recite the Qur'an, it will not go beyond their throats. And this group, obviously is the Khawarij. The Khawarij. And the greatest thing of the Khawarij, all of the Khawarij, the greatest thing what made them come out is an issue of the world, it is to do with wealth. It is to do with money and wealth and possession. They do not like the fact that they see the rulers of the Muslims, whether we are speaking of the most righteous of them, from the time of the, whether we are speaking about the messenger himself, or the Khulafa ar Rashidin, or even the sinful rulers in every age and era, they do not like the fact, that the wealth is not under their control, but under the control of the rulers, some of whom may be sinful. So they are motivated by an affair of the dunya, as mentioned by Ibn Kathir, that the khawarij appeared on account of something to do with the world, matter of the world. And they are not content, but they make it appear as if they are the most righteous and most pious of people, and that they are coming to establish the huqam of Allah, and that they are coming to establish justice. And this is the, the great deception in these people, that really what they are motivated by are worldly considerations, but they cloak it in the religion. And they speak such, as the Messengers said, that they will speak such alluring, they will speak with the most beautified, alluring speech of the creation. Now when you hear this speech, you think that this is the most righteous, most pious, most hard-hitting type of speech. When it is, when it is, when, when, you know, when it is just deception. And so, we see here that, Whereas the companions were content when they were told. We see that the, 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 the hypocrite Dul khawaisir al-Tamimi, he wasn't content. He walked away. And as the message from this man will come the Khwarij and the Khwarij, their story is, is long. But the point being here, that uh, we see that the Sahab, the Ansar, understood that wealth really means nothing. What matters is Iman, faith. In Allah and His Messenger, loving His Messenger. What equals the love of, of, of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu <laughs> Alaihi Wasallam? Nothing. So anyway, uh, coming back, the so remember, still there is, the, the, the booty has now been distributed to the various people. And what happened is, the Hawazin, eventually the tribe of Hawazin, eventually they came uh, with their leader, and... Uh, they eventually came and they eventually accepted Islam. And they came to the Messenger of Allah and they said, Indeed, there are our mothers, our sisters, our aunties, who are amongst you, we want them back. Basically, the, 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 the captives that have been taken, uh, they wanted them back. And so the messenger of the he said, Look, I have in my possession whatever you see, you are free to take it all. You can take The captives, you can take the wealth, whatever you want, you can take it all And they said, look, basically we're not interested in in the wealth But we just want our women, we want our children We're not speaking about any camel or any sheep We just want our women or our children So he said to them, after I've prayed dhuhr I want you to stand, I want you to manifest your Islam And I want you to say that we are your brothers in the deen And then say that we intercede by way of the messenger with the Muslims, and we intercede by way of the Muslims with the messenger of Allah salam, that you return back to us our captives, return them back to us. And so they did this as they were told by the messenger of Allah. Salam, and then, in response to them, the messenger said, As for myself, whatever I have, I will give it all to you, I will give it all back to you. But some of the Arabs they withheld from giving the things some of the, the bedouin Arabs from the muslims they withheld from giving anything back to the uh, to the to the new muslims from the hawazi so anyway the, the point being here is that when these people after having plotted and planned against the muslimin launching a war against them and they were defeated and the messenger still gave them a chance he withheld from the booty for 10 days hoping that they'd come back And they never, then he distributed the booty in the way that he did. Then eventually these people turned up and then they accepted Islam. The messenger gave back everything to them. And he also ordered the Muslims to give things back to them as well, which the majority of them did, apart from a very, very small uh, number. And eventually they even gave the things back as well, in in any case. So this now leads us to um, the Islam of Bani Tamim. And this now happened in the next year, which is Muharram of the ninth year of Hijrah. And in fact, before we go to that, the Messenger of Islam, when he uh before he left uh, this place, Jirana, he made Umrah from this place and then he returned back to uh, Medina. And this now reached towards the end of, of the year. So coming back to the uh, Bani, Bani Tamim, in the first month of the ninth year of Hijrah, um, the Bani Tamim, they began, they weren't Muslims, they began to incite many of the tribes not to give the jizya, to withhold the jizya. So the messenger of Allah, he sent uh, 50 horses that were led by, horsemen that were led by Uyayna bin Hassan, uh, uh, Hassan al-Faraz, al-Fazari, and he fought against them in the desert. He captured many of them, maybe 13 Uh, 11, 13, uh, 21, uh, 13 men, 11 men, 21 women, and maybe 30 captives, or children. And so he captured all of them, and he brought them to Medina. And eventually, 10 of the leaders of Banu Tamim came, and they basically wanted a challenge in terms of poetry. They wanted their, their possessions back, they wanted their children back, they wanted their captives back, and they issued a challenge by way of poetry they basically said that our the best of our poets is going to come and is going to challenge you and we want you to bring you know something equal so a man from them called utarid bin hajib he came and he stood up he was their khatib and he began to make lines of poetry so the messenger of allah he brought uh, Hassan uh, or Th- not Hassan thabit bin qais and thabit bin qais returned and said lines of poetry that were more superior to the lines of poetry that were said uh, to the Muslimin. Then another one of them came, and he stood up and he gave his lines of poetry. And then the messenger ordered Hassan bin Thabit. And then he made lines of poetry that were far superior to the lines of poetry that were given to to the Muslimin. So when they heard all of this, the Banu Tamim, the leaders of the Banu Tamim, and they realized that those amongst the Muslimin are far superior to them in their skills of oratory. They acknowledged the virtue of the Qatib of Islam and its poets. And so they became Muslimin. They accepted Islam. And so the Messenger he gave them back all of their captives and everything that they, you know, that they had, had taken. So this leads us now to the final issue that we'll discuss for today, the final event. And I'll just quickly summarize this event really this involves the Islam of Adi bin Hatim. Adi bin Hatim, who is one from the people of the book. And so what happened is that on an occasion, uh, the messenger of Allah Sallam he sent Ali bin Abi Talib, anhu, with 150 men to go to this place, uh, where there was um, basically an idol uh, that belonged to Bani Tay, uh, a tribe called Bani Tay. And... So he sent Ali bin Abi Talib, and he basically went to this place, and the leader of this place was a man called Hatim Atta'i. Hatim Atta'i. And um, basically, they, they took over this place, they destroyed the idol, and there was a, a sister uh, of, of uh, Adi bin Hatim called Safana bint Hatim. She, in fact, she was the daughter of this man. And she fled, or she was taken captive. When she came, she was brought to Medina, and she said to the messenger of Islam "That leave me alone. I'm old," and she, you know, uh, pledged her her case. And so the messenger allowed her to take a riding uh, camel and to make her way to Sham. So she went, and when she went to Sham, she had a brother who was in Sham, and this happened to be Adi bin Hatim. Adi bin Hatim. So when she came to Adi bin Hatim, she said to him that this messenger, this prophet has done with me a deed, that had it been your father, he would never have done this deed. Meaning, that the messenger allowed me to go free. And that's why I'm I'm here with you. And this deed he has done, I don't think your father would have done this deed. So therefore, you should go to him, go to him, whether you like it or dislike it, go to him. And so, Adi bin Hatim, he made his way, to the Messenger of Allah (laughs) Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he came not, you know, he didn't have any writing or some message from the Messenger or any guarantee of protection from the Messenger, he just came of his own accord. So he turned up and the Messenger spoke to him and he became a Muslim on the spot there and then. And as he accepted Islam, some Bedouins or some people began to uh, to come to the Messenger of Allah. One man came, he began to complain. About poverty, then another man came and he began to complain about the highway robbers. So, the, so, these people came and you know they began to make all of these um complaints. So, Adi bin Abi Hatim is sitting there listening to all of this. And so, the messenger of Allah he said to Adi bin Hatim, He said, If you live for long, if you live for long, then you will see a woman riding from such and such a place, coming all the way and making tawaf around the Kaaba, and she will not fear anyone except Allah. Meaning that there will be such safety in the land that this woman can travel from such a far distance on her riding beast and come all the way to the Kaaba, make tawaf and go all the way back. She will not fear anybody except, except Allah Azzawajal. And if you live for long, you will witness the treasures of uh, Kisra, the, 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 the Khosras of, of Persia. You will you will find those treasures being opened up, meaning that the Muslims will conquer the, the Persians, the Khosra of Persia. And if you live for long, you will see a man carrying gold or silver in his hand, trying to find someone to give it to in charity. And you will not find anyone who will accept it. Why? Because wealth will become so widespread that no one will really be in need, no one will be in poverty. And so he mentioned these three things to Adi bin Hatim. Now Adi bin Hatim, he indeed lived for long and he saw these three things basically, basically happen uh, and take place. So from all of these events, from what we've discussed today, we can see that there were a number of major events that took place. in the Battle of Hunain, and as for these incidents that we're mentioning here of Bani Tamim and this, this uh, idol of Bani Tay, uh these were just small incidents that were taking place because the, 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 the war in general between the Muslims and the Mushrikun had been pretty much come to an end. And these were just like small little incidents that were taking place, but in general, the Muslims had dominated all of the wars, had, had been victorious in all of the wars, And um, there wasn't much controversy anymore between the Muslims and the Mushrikeen in terms of battles and plotting. They were just small incidents. What was now taking place in the background was not so much a threat from the Mushriks and the Pagans of the Arab Peninsula, but rather it was from outside. And this was from the direction of the Roman Empire, the Byzantines, because if you remember previously, they had engaged in a battle with the Muslims No one really won. And when the Arabs who were on the border with Sham, with Syria, many of those Arab tribes were allied with the Romans. When they saw that the Muslims had managed to take on a huge army, each of those tribes began to slowly defect and become independent. So the Roman emperor, the Caesar, saw this as a threat, that I'm losing all of these tribes on the borders of Sham, and my power there is being weakened, and so he uh, mobilized his army and was preparing in the background to basically attack and fight the Muslimi, right? And this is this was at a time, as we said, when the war with the Arabs had really subsided. The Muslims had been victorious. The Mushrikeen had been subdued. Treaties had taken place, and many were becoming Muslim. So that wasn't really a problem anymore. And just like small incidents taking place here and there, but the bigger threat now. Was the issue with the Roman Empire, and so this now leads us to the next issue, which is the Battle of Tabuk. The Battle of Tabuk, which took place in the ninth year of Hijrah, then inshallah ta'ala we will discuss that and uh, the issues connected to that in the next lesson. With that, we'll conclude our lesson there today. <laughs>